Chapter 17 of The Exploits of Juve by Marcella Lane and Pierre Suvestra. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 On the Slabs of the Morgue. As he turned at the far side of the Pont Saint Louis, Dr. Ardell, the celebrated medical jurist, caught sight of Monsieur Fuselier, the magistrate, chatting with Inspector Juve in front of the morgue. I am behind hand, gentlemen, so sorry to have made you wait. Monsieur Fuselier and Juve crossed the tiny court and entered the semicircular lecture room, where daily lessons in medical jurisprudence are given to the students and the head men of the detective police force. Dr. Ardell, piloting his guests, did the honors. The place is not exactly gay, in fact it has an ill reputation. But anyhow, gentlemen, it is at your disposition. Monsieur Fuselier, you will be able to investigate in peace. Monsieur Juve, you will be at liberty to put any questions you choose to your client. The doctor spoke in a loud voice, emphasizing each word with a jolly laugh, good-natured, devoid of malice, yet making an unpleasant impression on his two visitors, less at home than he, in the gruesome abode they had just entered. You'll excuse me, he went on, if I leave you for a couple of minutes to put on an overall and my rubber gloves. The doctor gone, the two instinctively felt a vague need to talk to counteract the doleful atmosphere the morgue seemed to exhale, where so many unclaimed corpses, so much human flotsam, had come to sleep under the inquiring eyes of the crowd, before being given to the common ditch, being no more than an entry in a register and a date, body found so-and-so, buried so-and-so. "'Tell me, my dear Juve,' asked Monsieur Fuselier, this morning, directly I got your message, I at once acceded to your wish and asked Ardell to have us both here this afternoon. But I hardly understand your object. What have you come here for? Juve, with both hands in his pockets, was walking up and down before the dissecting table. At the magistrate's question, he stopped short, and turning to Monsieur Fuselier, replied, Why have I come here? I scarcely know myself. It's everything or nothing. The key to the puzzle. I tell you, Monsieur Fuselier, things are becoming increasingly tragic and baffling. How's that? The part played by Josephine is less and less clear. She is Lupart's mistress. She informs against him, is fired at by him, then, according to Fandor, becomes in some manner his accomplice in a robbery so daring that you must search the annals of American criminality to find its like. You refer to the train affair? Yes. Now, leaving Josephine on one side, we are confronted with two enigmas. Dr. Shalek, a man of the world, a scholar, crops up as leader of a band of criminals. What we know for certain about him is that he fired at Josephine, that he was concerned in the affair of the docks, no more. There remains Lupart, and about him being the real culprit we know nothing. There is no proof that he killed a woman. In order to prove that, we should have to know who that woman is and why she was killed, and also how. The how and why of the crime alone might chance to give us the answer. What trail are you following? That of the dead woman. The body we are about to examine will determine me in which quarter to direct my search. Monsieur Fuselier, looking at the detective with a penetrating eye, asked, You surely haven't the notion of suspecting Fantomas. You are right, Monsieur Fuselier, he replied. Behind Lupart, behind Shalek, Everywhere and always it is Fantomas I am looking for. Whatever information the detective was about to impart to the magistrate was cut short by the return of Dr. Ardell, 
That gentleman, in donning the uniform of the expert, had resumed an appearance of professional gravity. We are going to work now, gentlemen, he announced. I need not remind you, of course, that the body you are about to see, that of the woman found in the Cité Frochot, has already undergone certain changes due to decomposition, which have modified its aspect. So saying, Dr. Ardell pressed a button and gave an attendant the necessary order. Be so good as to bring the body from room number six. Some minutes later, a folding door in the wall opened, and two men pushed a truck into the middle of the hall upon which lay the corpse of the unknown. I now give over the dead woman to you to identify, declared Dr. Ardell. My examination has been carried out, and my part as expert is over. I am ready to hand in my report. Fusilier and Juve bent long over the slab upon which the body had been placed. Alas, cried Juve, how recognize anything in this countenance destroyed by pitch? What discovered in these crushed limbs this human form which is now a shapeless mass? And turning to Dr. Ardell, he questioned, Professor, what did you learn from your autopsy? Nothing, or very little, replied the doctor. Death was not due to one blow more than another. A general effusion of blood took place everywhere at once. Everywhere at once? What do you mean by that? questioned Juve. Gentlemen, that is the exact truth. In dissecting this body, I was surprised to find all the blood vessels burst, the heart, the veins, the arteries, even the lung cells. More than this, the very bones are broken, splintered into a vast number of little pieces. Lastly, both on the limbs and over the whole body, I find a general ecchymosis reaching from the top of the neck to the lower extremities. But, objected Juve, who feared the professor might linger over technical details too complex for him, what general notion does this suggest to you as to the cause of death? A strange idea, Monsieur Juve, and one that is not easy for me to define. You might say that the body of this woman had passed under the grinders of a roller. The body is rolled, that is just the word, crushed all over, and there is no point where the pressure might be conjectured to have been greatest. Monsieur Fusilier looked at Juve. What can we deduce from that? he asked. Professor Ardell demonstrates scientifically the same doubts to which a rough inspection led me. How did the murderer go to work? It becomes more and more of a mystery. It is so much so, declared Professor Ardell, that even by postulating the worst complications I really cannot conceive of any machine capable of thus crushing a human being. I do not believe, declared the magistrate, that we have any more to see here. It is plain, Juve, that this corpse cannot furnish any clues to you and me for the inquest. The corpse, no, cried Juve, but there is something else. Then turning to the professor, he asked, Could you have brought to us the clothes this woman wore? Well, quite easily. From a bag that an attendant handed him, Juve drew out the garments of the dead woman. The shoes were by a good maker, the silk stockings with open-work embroidery, the chemise and the drawers were of fine linen, and the corset was well cut. Nothing, he cried, not a mark on this linen, nor even the name of the shop where it was bought. He examined her petticoat, her bodice, a sort of elegant blouse trimmed with lace, and the velvet collar which had several spots of blood upon it. He then drew a small penknife from his pocket, and kneeling on the floor, proceeded to probe the seams. Suddenly he uttered a muffled exclamation. Ah, what's this? From the lining of the bodice he drew out a thin roll of paper, crumpled, stained with blood, torn, unfortunately. 
goodness of God in whom I trust, I do not wish to die with this remorse. I do not wish to risk this killing me to destroy this secret. I write this confession. I will tell him it is deposited in a safe place. Yes, I was the cause of the death of that hapless actor. Yes, Valgrand paid for the crime which Gurn committed. Yes, I sent Valgrand to the scaffold by making him pass for Gurn. Gurn who killed Lord Beltham. Gurn who I sometimes think must be Fantomas. Juve read these lines in an agitated voice. As he came to the signature, he turned pale and was obliged to stop. What is the matter? It is signed, Lady Beltham. In order that Dr. Ardell, understanding nothing of Juve's agitation, might grasp that import of the paper just discovered, he would have had to call to mind the appalling tragedy which three years before had stirred the whole world with its bloody vicissitude and mystery, one not solved to that hour. Lady Beltham? At that name, Juve called up the whole blood-curdling past. He saw in fancy the English lady, whose husband was murdered by the Canadian Gurn, who perhaps was her lover. And Juve, following his train of thought, pondered that he had accused this same lady of having, to save her lover, the very day the guillotine was erected on the boulevard, found means to send in his stead the innocent actor Vagrant. And here, in connection with this affair of the city Frochot, he found Lady Beltham involved in the puzzle of which he was so keenly seeking the key. Juve again read the momentous paper he had just unearthed. By Jove it was plain, ran his thought. The lady, criminal though she might be, was first and foremost Fantomas's passionate enamorata. And this paper he held in his hands was the tail end of her confession, the remains of a document in which, in a fit of moral distress, she had avowed her remorse and made known the truth. And taking line by line the cryptic statement, Juve asked himself further, What do these phrases signify? How extract the whole truth from these few words? I do not want him to kill me in order to destroy that secret. When Lady Beltham wrote that, she was angry with Gurn. Then again, what did this other doubtful expression mean? Gurn who I sometimes fancy may be Fantomas. She did not know, then, the precise identity of her lover. Oh, the wretch! To what depths had she sunk? Then, as he put this query to himself, Juve shook from head to foot. Like a thunderclap, he thought he grasped the truth he had followed so eagerly. What had become of Lady Beltham? Must he not come to the conclusion that this woman, whose face had been crushed out of all recognition by the murderer, was none other than the lady? How else to explain the discovery in her bodice of the betraying document? Who but she could have had it in her possession? Who else could have so sedulously concealed it? Juve read over another clause. I will tell him it is deposited in a safe place. Feverishly, Juve took up the garments trailing on the ground, carefully exploring the fabric, made a minute search. It is impossible, he thought, that I should not find another document. The beginning of this confession. I must have it. All at once he stopped short in his search. Curse it all! And he pointed out to Monsieur Fusilier, disguised in the lining of a loose pocket in the petticoat, a fresh hiding place, but torn and, alas, empty. This woman had split up her confession into several portions, and if she was killed it was certainly to strip her of these compromising papers. Well, the murderer had attained his object. Look, Fusilier, this empty cache is the proof of what I put forward, 
and chance alone allowed the page concealed in the collar of this bodice to fall into my hands. Long did the detective still grope and ponder, heedless of the questions the professor and the magistrate kept asking him. He rose at last, and with a distracted gesture took the arm of Monsieur Fusilier and dragged him before the stone slab on which the corpse, but recently unknown, smiled a ghastly smile. Monsieur Fusilier, the dead woman has spoken. She is Lady Beltham. This is the body of Lady Beltham. The magistrate recoiled in horror. He murmured, But who then can Dr. Shalek be? Who can Lupart be? Juve replied without hesitation. Ask Fantomas the names of his accomplices. And leaving him and Dr. Ardell without any farewell, Juve rushed from the morgue, his features so distorted that as they passed him people drew aside, amazed and murmuring, A madman or a murderer! End of chapter 17